This morning I'd like to talk about uh, sorting out some claims into different buckets, into different categories. And I invite you, uh, uh, as we do, to um, shout out in the room and answer or online. You can unmute or you can chat. Um, I want to sort out some claims into three buckets. Uh, My first bucket I call, that's crazy. Um, This is something that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, My second bucket is, okay, yawn. I don't really care, but sure. And then the third bucket is, wow, that's joy. Okay, so I'll give you some examples. Then what I'm going to want is you to help me, what are some other things that might go into that third bucket? But uh, So here's my first claim. Uh, I get a phone call, and I answer it, and the person on the phone says, I want to give you $1,000, just give me your bank account information. <laughs> so which bucket's going into? That's crazy. Okay, great. Um, Okay, this is a different one. Imagine that you have been involved in a conflict that has gone for years, and it's over. What bucket does that go into? Joy. Wow. Joy, right? Think of, of something like that, and you say, I would give so much for that to be true. Okay, how about this? The Earth's mass is 5.972 times 10 to the 24th kilograms. What bucket are you going to put it in? Okay, yawn. Yeah, I'm waiting for somebody to debate this, and then we could really get into it. But the rest of us would say, okay, yawn. (laughs) So what else might you put into the wow, joy category? Is there anything else you'd say, wow, that is good news? What are things that might fit there? A new baby. A new baby. Yes, wow, joy. We rejoice over the birth of John. Something else fits in the wow, joy category. Graduation from college. Oh, boy. We've got some people getting close. Oh, some people are very close. Good. Yeah. Ah, yes. You won a a basketball or soccer competition. Yeah. What joy. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Get to see your parents again after a long time away. Yeah. Wow. Joy. Joy. I want to ask you, and I don't want you to say this out loud, but to think, where does Jesus of Nazareth really die then came back to life again? And this is one of those questions that we say, well, we're in church, so I know the answer is wow, joy. But I wonder for us sometimes, what is the answer really? Right? Sometimes I think, well, that's that's good. But tomorrow I've got something that I'm really worried about. And his resurrection, I, you know, it just, it, it, it doesn't address that, right? And so we want to think a bit about what does it really mean that Jesus is alive again. And I want to pray for the Spirit's work. And one of the things we, we prayed about, I guess it was a week ago, this idea that the Spirit opens hearts. And I really want to encourage you today. For many who are used to church, when we pray with the Spirit open hearts to Jesus, we immediately think of somebody else. And that's okay. That's good. But today I invite you to pray that the Spirit would open your heart. And I'll pray that the Spirit will open my heart to Jesus, the risen Son of God. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the word that you have given us, 
We thank you for the Bible. Spirit, we thank you that you are active in the world today. We pray that you would open our hearts. And Father, we have many different situations that we're in. I pray that for each one of us, wherever we are, we need to know you in a deeper way. So we pray that you would do that today. Open our hearts to Jesus, the risen Son of God. We trust that you will do that. So as you speak, help us to listen. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The title today that you may worship, and we'll get to talk a bit more about this drawing in a few minutes. Uh, We're in John 20, um, and we're going to just pick up where the scripture readers this morning uh, left off. Uh, We'll continue on. I really encourage you to have uh, the text in front of you if you can, whether it's in print or on a device. Um, There's a link there. some people are coming around with some handouts that might be helpful. You also can get the link um, on, uh, on the screen there. Let me just say a word about the setting for these events. Um, the setting for these events is that Jesus had a bunch of followers, and they left their normal lives. For each of them, that was something different. But they left their normal lives behind and gave up so much. They left jobs, they left houses, they left family. And so many of them had followed Jesus for about three years. And just think of that. Imagine that three years ago, you had just left and you started following somebody wherever they went. right? And, and this is a big commitment. And after these three years, they watched Jesus be arrested, condemned, tortured, and killed. And, and, and they thought, but, but this isn't how it's supposed to work. This, we followed him because he was bringing in a new kingdom, a, a new world, a new way for things to be. That's what he was here for. And now it's over. And not just over in a simple way, over in the worst possible way. And they were devastated. But it wasn't just the devastation. Now they were also very afraid that they would be next to be arrested. You see, Jesus was killed... Because he was accused, and he said it is true, he was accused of being a king. And this was sedition. This was going against the Roman authorities. And this is what the Jewish people had to do to get Jesus killed by them, is to find the offense that would be offensive to Rome. Well, as followers of a false king, you also are going to be viewed as rebelling against the government. And they were afraid of this. And so they were hiding. And then a few people claim to have seen Jesus alive again. So we're in John 20, uh, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's just stop there for a second. So much in here. I just want to highlight a few things. Key thing, they were hiding. right? They were afraid. The doors locked, afraid somebody will come in and arrest them. And somehow Jesus is all of a sudden there. And they saw the Lord. 
They saw him alive, this one that they watched get tortured and killed. And they saw him. They, with their own eyes, they saw him. And he said, peace be with you. Which in one way is a very simple greeting. And yet when it comes from somebody who's come back from the dead, it's speaking with authority. And he says, peace to you. Peace be with you. And it seems that once wasn't quite enough. So he said it again. (laughs) But they were in great joy. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That as Jesus came to them, he brought peace and he brought the power of the Holy Spirit to them. In these verses, we see that this resurrected Jesus visited the apostles and he blessed them. And remember, they were expecting to be arrested and maybe killed, just like Jesus. This is the day of of Easter, the the resurrection. It's that evening and, and they're trying to hide. They're trying to figure out a plan. And note, they were not expecting a resurrection at all. This is not in our plans at all. We have no expectation of this. Now we think it's all over. And what are we going to do about it? And Jesus showed up through a locked door, right? And and they were overjoyed. This is just amazing, right? This is the wow, joy category of things. This is incredible. The one they saw get tortured and killed was there giving them a blessing, giving them the Holy Spirit. And I think it's significant that those who saw him die were the same people who saw him alive again. right? And, and they were so convinced of his death that the only option was an impossible resurrection. None of them said, oh, I really thought you had died. Oh, guess I was wrong. <laughs> right? The only thing they could imagine is the impossible, and that's the dead person had come back to life because they knew he had died. Jesus showed up to these apostles, but it turns out not to all of them. So verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas makes this really strong statement. I will not believe until I have that personal, physical experience that you all claim. These are ten of his closest friends. He's lived the last couple of years with them. And they all agree, we saw him. And he said, nope, I'm not buying it. That's not possible. Now there's one puzzle in this, this part. Well, there are lots of puzzles. But one puzzle I find interesting. The name Didymus means the twin. John already introduced us earlier in the book to Thomas as the twin. So why bring it up again? Well, I think we might, just might have a hint of that later on. But when we look at this, Thomas refused to believe that the other saw Jesus. I don't believe it. It doesn't make sense. It can't be. He was so certain of Jesus' death. Again, he didn't say, oh, I guess I misunderstood. He sure looked dead to me. (laughs) He was so convinced of Jesus' death that he claimed all his friends were confused. He said only the, pos- the strongest evidence would convince him. Right? And, and we're told elsewhere that it's, like, it's a ghost, it's a spirit, that, that he had to be convinced that Jesus was a living human, living human being and not a ghost, not a spirit. Otherwise, he's not going to believe it. But you notice what else he said? i got to see the marks i got to see the scars. He 
wanted to be sure it really was Jesus and not a lookalike. And this is where I wonder, huh, he was a twin. I wonder if he says, you know what, sometimes people do look really, really similar. I'm not going to believe it until I can see the proof that this is actually the person that I knew and watched die. I want to see proof. And and this is a fascinating thing, that, that if you were crucified, almost everybody who was crucified would have marks in their hands and their feet. Almost never does somebody also have a scar in their side because most people are left to die. They don't, I mean, most people are not speared through to see if they're dead already. It becomes clear, but Jesus was. And so he says, I got to see this. Jesus had earlier said in John, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And here's what I think is interesting. Thomas said, well, of course. (laughs) He said this with pride. I'm not going to be a fool and believe things that that aren't real. He had followed with Jesus for years. right? And this is where sometimes I think we think, oh, I've been around the church a long time, so I wouldn't wrestle with this kind of thing. Thomas had been with Jesus for years. But I think Jesus said this statement to, to highlight the sadness of slowness to believe. And, and it also highlights that wise faith is good. Faith is good. But wise faith is what's good. Foolish faith, that's not what we're talking about. It's trusting in that which has good support. But maybe not proof. So Thomas said, no, I'm not going to believe it until you can prove to me that he's really a living human being and that he's really the one I saw die. So verse 26, a week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Reflect on those words for a few minutes. The one that really captures me in the center, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, oh, I guess you are alive. Well, my friends were right. (laughs) Right? He immediately turned to worship. He bowed before and said, if this is who you are, and he was just moved to worship saying, my Lord and my God. And I love Jesus' response. That's good, Thomas. I'm glad you believe. But Jesus says, here's the real blessing. The real blessing is for people who don't get what you just got. And they believe. Jesus visited Thomas as he had the others, and Thomas responded in worship. Now, remember, the, the disciples were all still afraid. They're behind this locked door still. We're one week later after Easter, at that first Easter, and, and they're still hiding. And seemingly, they hadn't seen Jesus all week. Right? They didn't, were not told about, oh, Thomas, we saw him again, and all these other things happened. Seems that they're also waiting. And I wonder, I wonder, maybe they expected to, for Jesus to show up at a gathering of disciples. I think to this day, it's a significant thing when God's people gather together to worship. And we might expect Jesus to show up in the spirit, in presence. But here they thought, maybe he'll come. And when Jesus came, 
I just love the fact Jesus knew Thomas's resistance and he helped him. He didn't scold him. He didn't say, come on, Thomas. The other 10 knew. Why didn't you pay attention to them? He helped him. And Thomas not only believed, but he worshipped. Right? For a Jewish person to say this, this is astounding. Right? To say to somebody standing in front of you, my Lord and my God, this is just an amazing statement to make. And he is so convinced that this is God in the flesh. One of the unexpected things about the, the accounts of, of the resurrection of Jesus is that the followers were all so slow to believe. Right? They, they, they really struggled with this. And Thomas especially struggled with coming to this belief. But when they did, they really believed. And it changed their lives. One of the things I love in this passage is that Jesus stated there's a greater blessing for people like us than for Thomas. He says, oh, it's great, Thomas. You believed because you got to touch. But an even greater blessing is for those who don't get to touch. They don't get the physical sight, and yet they believe. Right? Those who believe without the privilege of seeing. So here, I, I puzzled with this. Why in the world, why in the world would God plan so that when Jesus came back to life again, some 500 people out of all of humanity had the privilege to see him personally? That's it. Right? Out of all of humanity. I mean, that's not during that time frame when there's fewer people in the world. But out of all of humanity... He planned it so only that many people would see the resurrected Jesus. And I think I would do this so differently, right? I would put Jesus on the tour, right? He could, and and maybe an open cockpit plane so people could see him. He could wave down and just think of all the people who could see him. And that's not what God did. He said, I'm going to have a small number of people who get to have the kind of thing that Thomas did. Because the real blessing is for those who will believe Right? And so those 500, that, that their job was to testify what they experienced. And it was real to them. They, they, this changed their lives. Many of them died to say, this is true. It fundamentally changed them. And so then people like us, our job, it's to believe based on testimony and evidence rather than waiting for proof. Because God doesn't offer that to us. Kindly, Jesus offered it to Thomas. But to us, he says, now your job is to have faith based on evidence. But you're not going to have proof. You're not going to have Jesus walk in here and say, look at the scars. He's not yet. Our job is to believe and to worship. So I find this astounding. When Jesus prayed, he was planning for us. He prayed for us. I love this. Jesus was praying and he was praying for his disciples who were with him. And then he says, Uh, We're told my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus was planning for us, saying there are going to be so many people who hear about this and didn't have the chance to be here. Didn't have the chance to see my scars in person right here. And so he says, I want to pray for those people, those people like us. And he says, I want them also to be in us. Not to be second-class citizens, right? Not to be people who don't have as good a status, but in some ways to be the people who are more highly honored because they are the ones who believed, even though they hadn't been able 
to have the, the experience of their physical senses of seeing Jesus. I'm convinced this story shaped what the Apostle John did when he wrote his gospel. And so here are the next words in John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John said, I've written these things so that you can believe. I've written these things for people who don't have what Thomas got. I'm writing them so that you can have the blessing that Jesus offered to those who will believe based on testimony, based on evidence. But you're going to have to believe it's going to take faith. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the the sent one of God, the one who comes as a rescuer for us in all our troubles. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that through this, he says, I want you to have life. That this is John's purpose. And I I love how he puts it right after the story of Thomas. That Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I get proof. And Jesus says, well, you don't get to choose that. He got the proof, but now he tells us about it. For the rest of us, it is to trust. It's to have faith. John's purpose is for people to believe and to worship. And I'm, I'm, I, I think it really is true. John wrote based on Jesus' blessing. This blessing the faith of those who didn't see Jesus personally, but believed the evidence. His purpose was persuasive writing, so that people believe that Jesus is God's chosen Savior, that Jesus is God's only Son, the one who is eternally one with the Father. And he says, here's a blessing through it. The blessing is the genuine joy-filled life in Jesus. So in this account, when the the disciples were wrestling with with Jesus' resurrection, the resurrected Jesus does come and shows himself to them. Thomas misses it and says, no, I'm not believing it till I get proof. So Jesus kindly offers proof to him. But then he says, most people will never get that proof. But they'll get testimony. And they'll get evidence. And they'll get the opportunity to encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The big idea in this that we see worshiping Jesus as Savior and God is the only means to joy-filled and unending life. This is what John said. I've written this so that you will believe and this will give you life. Worshiping Jesus as Savior and God is the only means to the joy-filled and unending life. And this comes with much proof or with little proof. And we don't get to decide that. Life comes through worshiping this one. So I've got a few drawings. Um, thanks to Karen for your help with this. Uh, I like flying airplanes, uh, but it turns out not everybody does. And uh, so here is a, a, a person who is pontificating that can't fly, it's too heavy. And uh, it is true that through most of human history, smart people were convinced that planes can't fly. Right? And it was true through most of human history. Can't do it, never happened. Right? You can make it drop like a rock. And if you know anything about airplanes, this plane would drop like a rock, but won't work. But then sometimes we encounter some evidence that says, oh, wow, I guess it can fly. And, and we might become convinced that planes fly, and yet we might never leave the ground. <laughs> we say, it's fine up there. It's fine for other people to do that. But we might never leave the ground, even if we're convinced it's true. But then we might actually find ourselves in a plane, 
and sometimes we might fly, uh, you'd be afraid the whole time. Oh no, the floor's going to drop out, the door's going to open, the engines, the wings are going to fall off, we're going to crash any moment, right? And be in terror the whole time. In the air, but scared to death. Or we could have flying be a joy when we find joy in the mysterious power of flight. So, why am I talking about this? Sometimes we conclude that God is not real or that he's not real for me. And that doesn't make it so he's not real. People so often have said, oh no, that can't be, that's not real. And we, in our arrogance, say, we know. And to me, this is one of the most arrogant statements in the world to say, I know there is no God. (laughs) You can say I have a lot of questions. But sometimes we say, no, can't believe it. And this is what Thomas said. I won't believe it until the greatest possible evidence is given. And, And then sometimes we see the evidence. And it is true that sometimes we might become convinced that God is real. And yet never actually know him. And this is a, a great concern for people who are around Christianity a lot. It's like, oh yeah, I know that's real. But we stay on the ground where our feet are safe. Right? We stay where we are. Sometimes we, we actually follow and we, we get up in the air. And yet we live our lives always afraid. This plane's going to fall apart. <laughs> the wings are going to break off and I'm going to die. I'm following him, but boy, this is a scary place to be. We trust him without trusting him. We're invited into the joy of knowing and worshiping the one true God who blesses those who believe. This is the invitation, and I'm convinced this is a key reason that John wrote what he wrote. I think he wasn't necessarily thinking of the people who've never heard anything before. He was writing for people who've heard the stories, but have either kept their feet on the ground or have been up in the plane scared to death that this is not going to work out (laughs) unless I hold up really tight to the sides of the airplane. I know a little bit about airplanes, and I know that holding on to the sides, that doesn't help you at all. (laughs) But we do that. We hold on tight, thinking, I've got to do this. And we live without worshiping. Worshiping Jesus as Savior, whether with much proof or little, it is the only means to joy-filled and unending life. I'm convinced that that's true. And so the application is to seek to know Jesus, really. Jesus taught, those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. And those who knock have doors open to them. And so this is a beautiful thing that Jesus rewarded Thomas for staying with the disciples. Thomas didn't say, oh, I'll come because I want to learn. (laughs) But he came. Thomas chose to stay with the disciples even though he thought they were all deceived and Jesus had been killed. Jesus does reward those who seek to know him. Right? And, And sometimes this is the first step in coming to know Jesus. The first step is just, well, I'd like to know more. And Jesus rewards that. It's also true if our heart has grown cold. We say, yeah, I know the idea of Jesus. I I know the idea of this, but I just don't see it happening in life. So I'll agree with it. But we need to seek Jesus, really. If our heart has grown cold, we need to seek him to say, I I want to see you. I want to show up where where you want me to be because I want to know you more deeply. I read a story, uh, not a story, a a report from Tim Keller, many of you know, and when he discovered he had cancer, he realized that the depth of his relationship with Jesus was not much. 
compared to what he wanted it to be. He said, I need to know him. I need to seek him. And sometimes we become very content with our feet on the ground and say, yeah, Jesus can fly in planes. We're in the air and we say, well, as long as I do my part, we'll be okay. And we don't know him. Now, we can't demand what Thomas got. We can't say, well, I'll really know him if you come and prove. We can only respond to what we have. And so the question is, how do we respond to it? And here's the reality. If we don't look, we have decided not to find. We need to look and believe that the Spirit of God will truly enter those who have faith. So we need to seek Jesus, really. Not just in the abstract sense, but in the personal sense, I want to know him more. And you know, what are ways to seek Jesus? Well, you know, the simple thing is to pray. Jesus, make yourself real to me. And, and this is a call to all of us in whatever state we're in, walking with him for decades or not having known him at all. We want to say, Jesus, make yourself real to me. And, and, and reading the Bible is so powerful. Perhaps the Gospel of John. These are written so that you might worship Jesus. Ask people who say they know him and look like they do. Obey what he shows us. And this is what's behind this invitation to our house on, on Tuesday. It's to say, let's seek him. And, and this is whether it's just exploring Jesus or it's the realization, I need to know him more. I've named his name, but my feet are on the ground and he's up in the sky. Now, I, I'm pretty certain we won't see or touch Jesus now physically. And sometimes our door is locked by our doubts, our fear, our bitterness. But here's the wonder. Jesus can go through locked doors. Right? This is the joy we have, that he can do that. And when he does come through the locked doors, the second application is to worship Jesus as Savior and God. To worship him is to glorify him. It's to joyfully make known his greatness and his goodness. To say he is so good. He is so great. To rejoice in him. To submit to him and his plans. To tell people about him. Right? To, to worship him is to rejoice in who he is. And worship is a wonderful shift in focus from me and mine to God. From saying, but I have these problems that, that we've got to be resolved first. I've got these doubts. I've got these questions. And they're good to wrestle with them. But worship is when we shift from a focus on my concerns and my burdens to Jesus. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And the moment of worship. We heard earlier, Mary said Rabboni, which means teacher. Right, shifting from her, her grief and her pain to seeing him and worshiping him. The disciples, when they saw Jesus, they were overjoyed. Jesus looked to his Father and said, Father, glorify your name. Right, worship is a wonderful shift from me and my concerns to looking at him. It's from my or our agenda, our needs and concerns to his greatness and his glory. It's a shift from our doubts and our objections, from our sorrow, from our pain, from our rights and our fears and, and our regrets. It's a shift from us to seeing and rejoicing in his greatness and goodness. Because when we see Jesus, he says, peace be with you. Not just peace in the sense that all the conflict is done, but the rich wholeness and health and goodness, the shalom idea of the Old Testament. He says, peace be with you. And when he saw, came through the locked doors and he saw the disciples, 
He gave them the Holy Spirit. And he gives the Holy Spirit to live in us. This is what it is to see Jesus, to encounter him. And and we won't encounter him today with the scars. But you know, as we sang earlier, I realized one day those who put their faith in him will go up and touch the scars. We'll go up and touch his side and say, look at that, here it is, this is evidence, you are the one who died for me and came to life again. Worshiping Jesus sometimes is a beautiful and unexpected shift. For Thomas it was. For Mary it was. Just the shift from from the burdens and the cares to seeing Jesus and saying, wow, my Lord and my God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit as we encounter God and our response is not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And just to let you know a bit about my own experience, this often comes in my weakness. It often comes in the realization that I am not what he needs me to be and he loves me anyway and he'll work anyway. Right? And, and I find this, you heard me this morning, a couple of times I really messed up. Right? It's like, wait a minute, what did, why am I the one who went the wrong way here? And it's a delight to say, it's finished. I don't have to do the right thing in order for Jesus to be worshipped. No, I want to. But worship comes when I realize in my failing, in my inability to do what needs to be done, he's still God. And he's paid the price. The shift from me and mine often comes in my weakness, in my failings when I realize, and yet he is still God. And I bow before him and say, my Lord and my God. So we're going to seek to know Jesus, really to worship Jesus as Savior, and then to be like John the Apostle, who said, so I'm going to do what I do to point people to Jesus. To speak and live so that people will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and receive true life through him. And those who worship Jesus find overwhelming joy when others also come to know Jesus and worship him. Because he is amazing. He is good beyond our wildest expectations. And he loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. Who rose again to accomplish what we could never do. To make us loved and honored by God, our Father, forever. Worshiping Jesus as Savior and God, whether we have much proof or little, is the only means to joy-filled and unending life. And that's the invitation for us. At Easter, we celebrate this perfect Son of God who suffered shame and torture and wrath that he did not deserve. And we celebrate it because he was victorious over all evil and over even death itself so that he could give joy-filled life to those who don't deserve it. And that includes you and me. And so as we encounter him today, my prayer has been, my hope has been, that we would encounter Jesus through the Spirit of God and encountering him, he moves in our hearts so that we say, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. I just want to give a moment of silence for you to reflect on how God is speaking now and your own choice of how to respond to him to bow and worship.
Father in heaven, we rejoice in your good plan to bring about salvation, rescue, to help us in our trouble when we can't help ourselves. And you did that by sending your son, Jesus, who died in our place. And we rejoice that he rose again to life and that he invites us to know him. Spirit, we thank you that you are present to help us to encounter the living Savior. And we long for the day, Jesus, when we also get to see you with our eyes and touch you with our hands and and to see the scars that are there because of us and are there because of your great love. So, Father, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts today, that you would move us to seek you, to know you fully, and that in finding you, we would worship and say, my Lord and my God, we give you praise. Amen.